0: Welcome to That's What I Call Marketing. I'm your host, Connor Byrne. and of course, this is the podcast where you'll hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. And today I am joined by Andy Nairn, who is one of the world's most respected and awarded brand strategists and one of the three founders of Lucky Generals, which itself is one of the most highly regarded creative agencies around. Just to put this in a bit of context, in 2021, Campaign named Andy the top brand strategist in the UK for the third time in a row. Business Insider has also named him one of the top five creative people in the world of advertising and he's won 24 IPA Effectiveness Awards. That's 24. This includes the 2005, 2007 and 2010 Grand Prix, as well as the top two planning prizes in the USA. As if that wasn't enough, and he's also the author of the best-selling book, Go Look Yourself, and recently launched a set of creativity cards called Lucky Cards, with all the royalties from these projects going to an organisation called Commercial Break, which helps working class kids get a lucky break in the creative industry. Okay, so to state the obvious, I have a lot of things I want to talk to Andy about, and he generously gave me time today to chat through a lot. We chat about how he ended up in marketing and some of the amazing agencies he has gotten to work in, like AMV, BBDO, Rainey Kelly, Goodby & Silverstein, MCBD, and DARE. We talked through the idea of simplicity and not overcomplicating things. The concept of commercial creativity and setting up Lucky Generals and how they are looking to book the trend of an obsession with technology at the expense of people because it's still a people business. I also hear if Andy had the same recollection as my very first guest, John Goldstone, on the, how the amazing ad "Go on, lad" came about for Hovis. Andy, thanks so much for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing.
1: Thank you very much for having me on. I'm really uh, excited to be here.
0: Well, listen, I I wanted to start by kind of asking you a bit about how you got into what you're doing. Um, and as I talk to people on the podcast, I kind of find there's there's almost two paths that people take. One is like a, almost a, a predetermined, you know, I've loved advertising since I was seven. And then the other is people who kind of go, oh, I kind of fell into this. Am I right in saying you're probably maybe in the second category that you might have uh, fallen yeah. into us
1: 100 <laughs> in the second category i had no idea i'd never really thought about advertising at all i, I was studying as a lawyer and i was in my final year I was gra- I, in fact i think by this stage i'd graduated in law so i had my law degree but i just didn't fancy being a, a lawyer um I, I i sort of liked a lot of aspects of the course, but I just thought it's going to be a bit boring in court. But <laughs> more exciting. Apologies to any of my lawyer friends uh, who are sort of listening. But um, so I spoke to my tutor and he said, well, if you like, you know, the bits that are similar about the, the job, you know, putting uh, a client's case forward and, you know, assembling an argument, telling a story. If you like all of that, but you want to do it in a more creative way, um, setting how about um advertising and i'd literally never heard of it or you know thought about it before but i sort of did a bit of research and and then i tumbled into it wow that's
0: amazing and was your tutor like had he experience in marketing or advertising or just
1: the really weird thing was so he's a guy he's actually really quite a well-known guy now he's in fact he's like a bit of a mega star in terms of uh writing he so he was a lawyer called professor um sandy mccall smith um And he shortly after this, maybe inspired by the same conversation, I I like to think, (laughs) not really, but he he basically took his own advice and started writing novels. And he's now one of the best selling novelists in the world. I mean, he's written he's written the Ladies Detective um, Agency series of books, which I think alone has sold about 60 million copies, you know, right up there with J.K. Rowling, people like that. Um, but he was a law lecturer at that time, and then he decided to do something more creative as well. So maybe I helped him as well. You helped him, help yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> brilliant,
1: and a lot yeah. bit better than me though. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, well, that's wonderful because it is amazing how you kind of—I I think the the faller inners uh, how yeah. that actually happens because it is often a conversation or or a moment. I did actually look though at some of the agencies you went to work with. And I did wonder, did you get confused and think they were law firms? AMV, BBDO, <laughs> they all sound like they, right. they could be. But you got to work at like an incredible roster of agencies then. I mean, that is something that doesn't necessarily always happen for people either. And you got to work with, I think, people like David Abbott. Were you intimidated with any of that? Like going into some of these agencies going, oh, wow, these are these are really great people.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was. I probably should have been even more intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're young, you don't really know, you don't quite appreciate it until afterwards, oh my God, this guy, um, you know, is a legend. But certainly Abbott made Vickers, that was my first place I went. And David Abbott was still very much, you know, in his pomp and running the place. He was a lovely man, as well as being an incredibly talented person. So he was very good. And actually, they were all very good at making you feel very welcome. It's a really good lesson in life actually, that they I always remember on our first day they took out all the graduates to a posh um restaurant and we were all a bit sort of intimidated and nervous and would we use the right cutlery and you know things yeah. like that. But <laughs> you know the thought that the gesture was you know really well intended and nice and you know they they really treated us well and you know um despite, you know, David Abbott literally being his nickname in the industry at that time was God. I mean, yeah, people yeah. To God. he did have a sort of a godlike like um, you know, hair uh, cut and sort of demeanour. I mean, he was just an incredible, impressive person. So you were very conscious that you were in the presence of someone, uh, you know, this deity of advertising. But he was still extremely nice and gentle and sort of um, uh, quite teasing and quite a sort of... a. A naughty sense of humour, so he could sort of uh, he made you feel at ease. Um, Was that
0: was it there where I'd read somewhere where you had you arrived late for for a meeting, uh, and they literally treated you as if you were like godlike and like yeah, get you anything.
1: That was a fun thing. I I was really my first big meeting. I sort of. Raced in, I would messed up the tubes because you know when you come to London, you're not used to you know the transport and all the rest. But anyway, that's, that's my excuse. But I <laughs> messed it up and and came in late and and I was uh, and in the meeting was David Abbott himself, um, the other two founders, Peter Mead and Adrian Vickers, The chief exec who himself was an absolute legend, Michael Bulk, and a and a bunch of other extremely important and you know, <laughs> and an idiot coming in sort of pouring the sweat and. Uh, in an ill-fitting you know suit that I'd got as a graduate and and before I realized that nobody wore suits and so you just look like an idiot and but they and you could tell probably the terror on my face and how stressed I was so so yes they uh, David Abbott said don't worry um you know sit down I'll make you a cup of tea (laughs) uh Peter Maid was saying would you like milk uh, you know, Adrian Vickers was saying, "Would you like goat's milk or you know semi-skimmed?" We've got every sort of milk. You know, they were laying <laughs> laying on the trail about how, you know how they were going to calm me down and just enjoying me, seeing me squirm. So again, it was just sort of a there's a really good human atmosphere to that place, which is a good lesson in terms of the places you want to work.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just that kind of culture of, you know, hard work agencies are hard, hard work yes. and, you know, that, but, but actually the enjoyment because that, you know, you're going to get that and, and you get great work, I guess, when people are enjoying themselves during kind of the, that, that period and, and kind of some of the other agencies you work with. Did, did you kind of start forming any core marketing beliefs that you still hold firm in, in your current role, in lucky generals?
1: Yeah. Throughout, I've, I've always been drawn to, um, the idea of simplicity and not overcomplicating things. There's a sort of a strand as a strategist where, you know, some people sort of talk as if, you know, the strategist has got to be, you know, there's a phrase, you know, planet brained and, you know, sort of super clever and intelligent and all the rest of it. And obviously you've got to be smart to a degree, but it's it shouldn't be the sort of smartness that wears its brains on its sleeve, you know? Yeah. And, and I like the fact that the people I worked with at AMV were really – because it was so creatively driven, they encouraged you to, um, you know, to sort of develop strategies that creatives could uh, write great work to, you know, and it was about, um, you know, the it was a means to an end rather than you showing off for showing off sake sort of thing. And that that all was really sort of um, carried through with me. I went on to Rainey Kelly. That was also sort of a, an approach that sort of seemed to work there. And then the States was really informative because... Um, I was at an agency called Goodby Silverstein in San Francisco. Yeah. And they had this real sense, again, that you should be able to explain your strategy over, you know, the kitchen table um, to your folks who maybe didn't work in advertising. Um, and, and I just really have always gravitated towards, that, you know, extreme simplicity rather than sort of complicating things and overthinking stuff.
0: Yeah. because And, and I think, yeah, I think when that, and it's hard, right? Getting into yeah, the simplicity. The, the easy thing, thing is to have 50 page deck and explain everything that you've researched and you know and everyone's like losing the will to live
1: (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's amazing thing actually Goodbyes, where um and it's funny how practical things begin to influence your life but you you because they're based in san francisco but your clients could be in my case they were like you know five or six hours away one in cleveland one in um texas and so you fly to meetings and you bring in those days art bags um with poly boards and um you have five, you know, they they used to do boards in those this is 20 years ago. And um, despite being in Silicon Valley, they had a real um allergy towards PowerPoint. They didn't they hated doing things in PowerPoint, they liked to have conversations with bully boards. And and it was such a good um discipline because you were forced as the strategist to only how many boards could you fit in an art bag? It's probably only about six or seven. Um, and therefore your strategy had to be explicable in six or seven charts and yeah. six different boards and and that's always stuck with me like how what is this story in two or three or four beats um and the rest is also sort of padding really usually yeah yeah and it's uh, yeah it's the
0: i love that the beats of the story i was gonna ask you i watched actually uh goodby silverstein masterclass. i don't know if you've oh, right. seen that and Oh, it's amazing, like because they've got so many amazing stories. Um, oh, I'd you love know. to
1: watch that. I must yeah. look it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, really, really good. Um, I was just enthralled by you know by them, their approach. Did you did you work closely like with them, or was it, like a huge agency? I couldn't get a sense of that actually watching the masterclass. It is, it
1: is a huge agency, but I worked closely with both of them. They're a very odd um, couple. Couple, yeah,
0: um, they come across as an odd couple actually in a good way. Like, unlikely. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's very, very <laughs> unlikely uh you know Jeff Goodby's kind of uh or of back in the day ponytailed or long haired long haired sort of, yeah he, he looks like a college well he, he, I think he actually did go to either Yale or Harvard, and but you know he he looks like a sort of a, a dropout sort of hippie kind of dude sort of thing West Coast sort of hippie dude and then um although he's he, he's not from the west coast and and then rich silverstein is kind of more of a quite a high energy um New Yorker. Yeah. Um he's quite frenetic and sort of uh, you know talks a, a million miles an hour. But it's a so it's an unlikely partnership, but they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant practitioners. And I was really sort of lucky to to see them up close because um, it is a different advertising culture over there. And uh, I loved the way that they yeah really put such an emphasis on simplicity and, and storytelling, and you know there's a great salesmanship in. In American advertising, in the best American advertising, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff, but the very best American agencies are, 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 are absolutely unbelievable sellers of both ideas, uh, uh, you know, and their own work and their clients' products. So, yeah, learned lots there.
0: That That's the one thing I was going to ask you about is the difference that you, you experience between UK and, and US. Because, again, that would be some of my... Maybe views. I didn't. I haven't. I haven't worked in the US. Worked with people in in the US in, in my current role. But but I do feel there's more commerciality generally, right? And and I you know in in the sense and that came across in in the masterclass I watched with with the guys. But did you find then when you came back to the UK that you were bringing some of that, as you call salesmanship, back with you? And and or did you feel it was kind of it was coming to the fore in the UK anyway?
1: Um, no, it's something I've always tried to do, and it's a bit sort of countercultural now because I. I think you know lots of people have written about this something they've spoken about this that there's perhaps a uh, people have forgotten how to sell or have kind of um talked themselves into this idea that we're not here to sell um and that selling is sort of vulgar or sort of um uncreative where you know the best advertising people you know david abbott you yeah. know um jeff goodby people like that they're incredible salespeople, and they still manage to do it in an unbelievably creative way. That that is where the creativity comes in. That's proper commercial creativity. Um, so it doesn't have to be boring at all, you know. And I feel like we've tried to carry that through to our our work, you know. If you're doing an, a Super Bowl spot for Amazon, you're not just yes. On the one hand, you're entertaining the nation. Yes, people sit to watch the ads as much as they do the game but you've also got to sell the product too, but you, but you can do amazing product demonstrations. Uh, you know, look, that's some of the best American advertising, I think is at heart, just a product demo, um, not some sort of higher order, sort of fancy, highfalutin thing, but just a great product demo done brilliantly with tons of gusto and um, energy and in our case, sort of humor. So um, yeah, I have really tried to apply that.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, Finding a place for the product in, in the work where it's yeah. not kind of you know, wedged in at the end, you know, like yeah. throw
1: throw it in the end frame. <laughs> That's it. That's the advice that all Americans there's that horrible it's a horrible but very good phrase. I can't remember who first coined it. And maybe it's just been going around American advertising service for a long time. But if someone gives you a turd to eat, don't nibble. <laughs> <laughs> which is which A sort of thing means if if you've got a really clunky product point to make. Fully embrace it. Don't don't try and put it in at the end. You might as well start with that at the beginning and just accept, right, I've got to do this. I've got to make and and then actually turn that into an advantage and put it at the heart of your, you know, um advertising rather than try and cram it in as an afterthought. Um Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um I'd love to talk about some of the work you, you got to make with some of the agencies, but one ad I I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you did get to work on Was Hovis Go On and John Golson actually was the very first guest I had on on this great. podcast. Yeah. Amazing! So he got to tell me the story of of that ad. I'd love to hear it from your perspective how that
1: ad came about from from the agency side. That's that is, you know, that's brilliant. And then after this, straight after this, I'm going to listen to John's yeah. um, <laughs> and just see see how we differ in our recollections. It's a, a while back now. I mean, what I remember is that we had pitched for Premier Foods um and 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 won it so that was great but the exam question was on hovis and we we didn't get that actually so we we're a bit gutted because that was the best brand in the portfolio and um, so we started working on all their other brands um and then we got a call from john goldstone who had just arrived and said um actually the other agency aren't cracking hovis so could you ever run it so we were all over it and you know really excited by it um and then we had this amazing briefing it was the best briefing i think we've ever had really we were um, I always remember it we're um, in the agency, and John sort of laid out very clearly the problem, which was that they were going to get delisted. I mean, they were really doing badly. You know, one of the most famous brands in you know Britain, um, but they were going to get canned. And he just he said, "I don't care what you do, blank your paper, do anything, um, as long as you." But we need something amazing. To you know, uh, we're effectively talking about the ad of the ad of the year. I need yeah. to make this the most impactful campaign of the year. Um, and, and turn this whole tanker around. Um, and I remember Danny wrote it on a napkin, my um, creative partner. I think he's got the napkin somewhere. Oh, wow. um, it, so it was kind of like ad of the year. It, so it was, And it was literally, I know that's a cliche to write something on a napkin, but it was a, some paper thing from pret a or something like that. <laughs> um, and anyway, so we then we started thinking, about right, how are going to do this? And what was interesting was there was that the... The, and this is the reason we didn't win the first the first pitch was that there was an absolute belief within Hovis that um the one thing that they they mustn't talk about is history, because which made sense to degree, because their problem was that they were seen as a very old-fashioned oh, brand. Right. I and mean, it's literally a byword for you know history. If you say someone's that's a bit Hovis, it's you know, it harks back to the very <laughs> famous advertising from the nineteen seventies, which was created by Ridley Scott, where you have a kid running through um yeah. the streets, um, you know supposedly a Yorkshire town with a loaf under his arm. And it was kind of it was shot in black and white or sepia. And and, and every, it was such a most famous, you know, one of the most famous ads of all time in Britain that it, it had the downside of making them feel very old-fashioned. So every single marketing director ever since that, until John had said, keep away from history at all costs. It's dragging us down. Um, you know, so they'd had cartoon families and they yeah. had... People, you know, students in bed sit, everything's streaming, you know, we're modern, we're modern. (laughs) um, So it was trying so hard, but not succeeding. Um, And we said, said, well, can we relax that rule if it's a blank sheet of paper? And John said, yeah, I don't really don't care as long as we, you know, um, we just have to get out of this hole. So he took that restriction off us. And we, we looked into the archive and we found it was such an amazing brand, you know, it was named... Um, Hovis after hominus vis, you know, the strength of man. It was a it was a naming competition yeah. back, you know, this is like 100
0: passage yeah.
1: 122 I mean, years ago. Yeah. But, you know, nowadays it'd probably be called Bready McBreadface Um, you know, <laughs> if it was an online poll, but but somebody somebody with a great working knowledge of Latin, I think it was a Cambridge Don or something like that, um, came up with the name hominous vis. So it was a better class of user-generated yeah, content by and, <laughs> And uh, anyway, there's just loads of great stories, you know, how they'd helped out during the war and donated money for Spitfires, how they'd how they'd been present in every stage of British life over the last 122 years. And we thought that that's actual gold dust. We should we should embrace that again, you know, uh, rather than run away from it. In fact, let's run towards. Let's literally run towards. It. We'll have a boy just like the famous old ads. So we'll again embrace that, you know. Let's not pretend that people do not talk about the hovis' boy. Yeah. At our time, this time we'll have a boy buying the bread in the Victorian times, and then running through all these stages of history: the, the Titanic, the troops going off to the First World War, the Second World War, England winning the World Cup, um, you know, mass immigration, the miners' strike, uh, and then the boy runs back into the present day, puts the loaf of bread on the table, and and uh, you know his mum says he's back, yeah, in, in home sort of thing. And the, the line was as good today as it's always been, which was, which in itself was kind of. Um, we got out of the archaeology, you know. Um, we dug out the history books and tweaked it a little bit, but it was kind of based on an old Hovis line. Yeah. And what? John, so John loved it immediately, and then had the brilliant idea. Um, I think this was his idea. He, he said, "That's that's that's long, um, but he meant that's a good thing. It's it's 100, and we're 122 years old now. Could we create a? Could we make it 122 seconds?" Yeah, um, and we went all well, that doesn't exist. You can't come by that in twenty-two seconds old. But we actually we had we had a, we thought well we will ask, and we spoke to ITV, and they they actually um, did allow us to do that because they could see what us what an incredible you know thing for them it would also be, and they chopped off two seconds of Coronation Street of all things. Oh wow! Um, to allow us to do that, which then became a huge PR story. Yeah in its own right. And the whole, the whole thing was a phenomenon, you know, it was voted the most popular ad of the decade amongst the British public. Um, But it was, a, and we've always said this, it sort of came down to John setting a brilliant and vivid brief about what the problem was. And that's what the best clients do. They set yeah. the challenge and set the bar really high. won the ad of the year and eventually we got the ad of the decade. Um, And then took away all the restrictions that we'd been working under previously, which was don't go anywhere near history. And, you know, we managed to use history to move us into the present day. So it was, does, does that tally with it what John does, said? It does, yeah. And what I love
0: about it is the, like the bravery and trust as well, right? Because I think that, you know, the best work comes out of those situations where you've got a client who's, who's brave, an agency that's brave, and then both trusting each other to get to something phenomenal. And I know from talking to John, like the commercial su- success, like not only was it like a brilliant ad, won all the plaudits in marketing, commercially, it also did the job. So back to that point of what you brought back from the US.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it was it was the fastest growing FMCG brand of the year. Um, I think it generated another hundred million pounds worth of profit, yeah. you know, profit income, which is in- insane won the ipa grand prix you know which is an effectiveness award and and so it was just an incredible commercial um turnaround for them um but you need you need the right people in the right time with the right sort of mindset sometimes the burning bridge is the best possible platform you know because yeah. that forces you you know being being conservative was just not an option because they they were gonna just disappear there was a the the the, the weekend before we got the brief the, there was a big piece in the um, Sunday Times where the um, chairman of Premier Foods was shown in a toaster, um, oh, at, a picture of him in a toaster, and the headline was, Is Premier Foods Toast? Oh, so wow. that, that was the sort of trouble that they were in. They were It was existential, and in that sort of circumstances, yeah, it's commercially crazy uh, to do nothing. You've got to do something um, strong
0: go into that yeah that safety wasn't wasn't an option and um, I, I think speaking then of kind of I guess the, the trust and, and right moments you set up Lucky Generals in 2013 with Helen Calcroft and Danny Brook Taylor I'd love yes. to hear about you and them like what was that what was that working relationship right because I think you've said that it had to be you know people you trust you all want, well, wanted to do it at the same time, and your families all agree. But I'd love to know about the working relationship. that made that just the right kind of partnership for you to set up Lucky Generals.
1: It's all about me, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know uh, the, two
0: other, the other two existed. Yeah, <laughs> they, barely, they barely do a thing.
1: and sadly, that's not the case. Um, I have mean, I worked with Helen back at Abidmead Vickers, so we go back a long time now, you know, 25-odd years. Um, and then when i came back from Goodby's, i i went to an agency that she had started up called mcbd that was doing really well um you know really good agency uh and she, uh, we we started sort of afresh uh, and you know um i became a, a sort of one of the owners and partners in that business and and then um after a few years we hired danny as well who we didn't know um but you know that is now 15 years ago. So we've um I think that's yeah, it's about 15 years ago. So we we we've worked together solidly for that whole amount of time. So it's enormously helpful because you, you do trust each other and you like each other, that's important. Um and you want to spend time with each other, which is what you have to do if you're you know setting up a business. Um and that this really was the coming together in particular of our team, really. We had right. done a few other things beforehand, but that was that was an incredible moment of us all playing to our super powers. And, you know, um, you know, strategically, I think it was interesting. It was brilliant. You know, so that's Danny's, you know, absolute um, genius to make that live up to the potential that it, you know, uh, it could have been a terrible ad probably, but he did it it with such dedication to craft. And then there was a lot of persuasion because as you say, it's a kind of a, is a big step for an agency for a, a client in trouble to sort of buy into that so yeah. helen was doing as sort of um working with john and you know all of us it was just just a lovely sort of chemistry and, and it was kind of not hugely indirectly off the back of hovis that we said Let, let's do this ourselves we can do this again we were coming to an end of um uh you know mcbd and we um we, we sort of thought no, let's let's uh, put our money where our mouths are and set up together and we're still at it still 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 going those ridiculous faults and sort <laughs> of um you know which is quite unusual because a lot of founders fall out as well that's the other thing and you know they you know they start up a business and and then it can be stressful and you can have disagreements and you can you know quite often fall out but yeah. so far I was sticking with each
0: other's uh, annoying habits. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's probably knowing those as well and then knowing, okay, I'm going to walk away from this one because this, this, yeah. this, this is his, his one. Um, and when you set it up, I read that you you kind of were looking to, maybe not looking, but one of the things you, you felt was the old agency model was broken. And I'd love to know, like, what, what was broken? Why was it broken? And how are you trying to fix it?
1: Um it was broken i mean i guess every agency says that when they start by the way so i'm kind of uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of conscious of the the shameless appeal to people's uh, desire for the new but um joking aside we sort of felt that there's a we, we've been a little misstep in between uh, you know i've smoothed the story over there as we have a tendency to do when we tell these things in retrospect but mm. what really happened was we 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 sold as the last part of selling mcbd um we 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 agitated actually for a merger with um another company called dare so that was you know oh, our yeah. own, we we sort of pushed for that and it, and it did happen and then we hated it so that okay. was sort of our fault we made our own sort of mistake there um and dare was a brilliant agency with brilliant people a brilliant um digital agency of the decade I think at the time we were a great creative agency and on paper it made a load of sense and on, on practice it was terrible so That's a long-winded way of saying we made a big mistake, but did learn a lot about what what was going wrong with agencies at that time. And there was a sort of specialism there where there was a sort of a sense that digital was a separate thing. Yeah. Uh, You know, there were digital agencies and so on. And that didn't make sense to us. And um, nor did it make sense doing lots of, you know, there was a lot of... um, very boring nuts and bolts digital work that was going on that we could see would better be done by clients probably in house, you know, social media right. management and stuff yeah. like that. And we didn't really, we weren't interested in it and, and sort of felt it would be better for clients to do it anyway. Um, so it was it was a very interesting experience because like that sort of experience makes you think, well, what do we want to do if we don't like this? So what we didn't like was an obsession with technology at the expense of people, because it's still a people business. This. We, yeah. we, um, we need to understand human insight first and then work out how the technology fits into that. Don't we shouldn't say that we're only aligned with this sort of we're, we're a social media agency or we're a VR agency or a you know metaverse agency now, I guess it's people yeah. still doing that mistake. Um put human insight at the, the heart of it. Um work with people like John Goldstone who are on a mission, um which which again predates the whole purpose debate but we we were really interested in that 10 years ago and thought yeah the best clients want to do something it doesn't have to be a social mission that's what i was going to ask you was it like yeah.
0: did, was mission because i read that like mission i was like okay does he mean like that purposeful mission we have now or is it more like a mission to do either great work or like turn the business around
1: yeah it was it was sort of the latter really which often you know again we have worked with a lot of Clients for whom it is an actual literal sort of social, you know, mm. change the world mission. But it was sort of, you know, people with ambition who want to do something beyond just, you know, keep sales going along by, you know, one or two percent. So it, it really was, and we spoke about it at the time, it was the John Goldstones and a couple of others of the world, that sort of person. Um and yeah, so it was a it was a coming together of all these things where People were obsessed by media. So we just done this big, This, as I say, this huge television ad, you know, want everything going, you know, for, for television. But we didn't want to be defined by TV. In fact, we, we sort of shied away from that. Nor did we want to be defined just by, you know, a particular technology. Um, and we didn't want to work with, you know, just go through the motions. A lot of agents were just going through the motions, it seemed to us, and doing work that wouldn't have a proper actual impact on culture. It would just, you know... Talk to themselves, talk to awards, juries, not you know so all the things that we'd learned was let's let's create a company that's a bit different from that and and it was again true to our principle and the thing I've always believed in about being simple we we said we'd be a creative company for people on a mission yeah. so creative company you know not just ads and not just technology people not technology and on a mission um yeah because we want to work with people who want to change the world somehow it doesn't have yeah. to be some lofty purpose and that that was the words um that we developed on the first day really and we've stopped ever since it's been a really good sort of litmus test of whether we're going to be right for a client or a project or not
0: and that that's two things I want to ask you about actually as well is because you you started up no clients how important was the first client and actually getting that right
1: it's it's really important because it's you're sort of created in the likeness of your first client I think you know um that is your chance to set out your stall. If you just take the money, we were offered a huge amount of money for a financial services client that would have been terrible for us. Yeah. Uh, we turned it down and we um we ended up working paddy power of all people, and that wouldn't have been our first sort of choice necessarily. Right. Um if we weren't absolutely enticed by a brief to work um to tackle um homophobia in football. So yeah. kind of unexpected sort of brief from them. Um And that eventually turned into rainbow laces, which became a perfect way to demonstrate that we're a creative company for people on a mission because it's, you know, it was literally advertising on a shoelace um, uh, on a shoestring and it was, so it was media neutral. It was PR. It was social. It was stunty. It was a bit of all of that sort of stuff. Um, It was fun. It was noisy. It was cultural. um, And it, and it was fast. And it. it and again, you sort of learn a lot from that first client experience. And then you know, that brought us a lot of clients who wanted to do cool, interesting, fun, modern stuff rather than just more of the same.
0: Yeah. You know? And and I imagine that along the way, similar to maybe that first financial services, you know, it did bring a lot of clients. And there must have been some of you were like, not right, right. And you yeah. were in that position. Then yeah, to make it's always that been decision. our
1: way. You play, I mean, we lost loads of money on uh, room <laughs> places because it was... Uh, It was absolutely, uh, you know, cripplingly expensive and we poured our hearts into it. But we knew that we would make it up in the long term. You have to back yourselves. I always remember our kids were in the office um, packing the laces into little envelopes and sending them off. You know, it was was like a child sweatshop. They were like 10 years old or something like that. Um, So a bit unethical, but... um, it's our own kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the, I'm sure they remember it, right? I'm sure they're the
1: things and that they it was, remember. It was lovely, and that's a lovely thing when you start an and your kids are, you know, really excited for you. And you know, you have to make some sacrifices, but you're sort of ultimately kind of doing it for them. And it th- was just such a brilliant it it got us off to a great start because it because of all the things I've just sort of said. And and you know that sort of work then begets other people who want some of that magic. Whereas if you start with a big corporate boring account that might make you a load of money on day one, yeah. you're going to find it hard to get out of that pigeonhole. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And off the back because you obviously worked with some amazing clients, done some yeah. fabulous work. Uh, I'm going to ask you a really difficult question now. So, like, if Yorkshire Tea, Pot Noodle, Amazon, have you a favourite?
1: Campaign. Oh, my pain. Not
0: client, not client. Oh, children. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually wrote down favorite child. No, that, that's that. <laughs> I can't, I can't,
1: uh, I can't choose any of. Can I, can I, I choose one
0: then for you that I, I just, I love? I love the Yorkshire Tea Sean Bean campaign.
1: Great. Yeah. yeah tea. I love it too. And I, I, I can talk about that because, um, precisely because I had nothing to do with it. So, <laughs> i can say that that is lovely that's sort of sort of my child but not um not directly but um George team's brilliant thing we've been working with them i think for six years now and they were they were sort of doing all right they were kind of a regional brand that was third in the market but they were sort of um destined to always be third mm. you've got these two big brands pg tips and um tetley and i would worked on Tetley for about eight or nine years and um, and a previous agency uh, and we'd always been told that those two positions would never ever change pg tips um first tech the second sort of. that's been like that for 50 years sort of thing and you had these you know the famous tea folk and you had the famous pg tips chimps and then the monkey and like these things will never ever change George T will always be a you know and also run and we took that from third to first in a couple of years um, bridged an enormous gap, and now it is like miles ahead in front. Yeah, um, thanks to a brilliant partnership with a fantastic. Again, you've you've got a guy called Dom Dwight there, who is, um, he's an you know he's he's another John Goldstone. He's a person who's on a mission, an individual, a, a lovely human being who's uh, who came up through social media, funnily enough. Okay, so the brilliant sensibility for the things I was just talking about. You know what what in modern culture you know, how do modern brands work and, and um, uh, you know, in a in a non-traditional sort of non-dusty old sense of things. So together we worked on this idea that comes straight out of the brand, like a lot of our work, which is all about properness, and they do things proper up in Yorkshire. Yeah. And they'd, they'd sort of experimented with that before, actually. Um, so again, a lot of our work, we're, we're sort of just reworking things that, you know, are already in the brand's DNA, but, but we sort of said, well, let's not just talk about how proper the tea is, because that's a bit boring, You know, banging on about you yeah. know, the different leaves that you use or, you know, where you source them. L- let's focus on all the other stuff in the company, you know, and the fact that this is a place where everything's done proper. And that really unlocked it because it's more fun yeah. to see that you then you can have um, Parkinson who's doing the interviews for you, you know, or you can... You can have Sean Bean doing the pep talk, or you can have, you have recently you have um, Patrick Stewart yeah. um, doing a leaving speech. So, every single thing, every boring, menial task is done proper. And that makes you think, well, if God, if they do the leaving speech like that, imagine what effort they must put into the tea. Tea,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. And like just, I mean, the entertainment value of it. And like that's sort of what I love about like so much of the work you do is, is just in so enjoyable. Like it's entertaining. So they're funny like that, or, you know, you know, the Amazon work really creative. Like it's just really, really enjoyable work and obviously doing like amazing work for, for the brands. And um, I do want to ask as the agency's gotten bigger and, um, and you've got now got like New York offices, you know, I know there's kind of ownership stuff and acquired and all that kind of, I don't like, don't know the detail, details of all the financials, but, um, how do you, I guess, Helen and Danny still stay connected? Because I imagine people are buying into you as kind of that leadership of Lucky Generals. Like, how, how do you stay as connected as you were back at those kind of bootstrap days and, and packing the the laces in the office?
1: We're still really passionate about it. You know, the, the day there were we're not, we should give up. But yeah. um, still love working with each other. Still, you know, after this, I'm going to go for... Um, A very boozy um, (laughs) session with them um, before our Christmas party, and we still have a good old laugh at what we're doing. Um, And we still, we we still, although we have sold a chunk in a majority state to Omnicom, we still are, um, you know, got a decent and significant of uh, minority share. um, And they've left us alone, and they're a brilliant company. They we have just been named the um, uh, uh, Ad Week. Uh, agency of the year globally for the second year in a row so that you know where we've sold a chunk of ourselves to a, a brilliant interest and in create a business that's really left us alone and been nothing but good for us um so that's not changed the culture at all um and it's about sort of getting good people in that are going to be you know help us get better funnily enough our very one of the biggest hirings made last year was the very first client we had another guy um uh, from who's got that sort of guy on a mission, sort of uh, sort of persona, is a chap called Paul Mallon who was our first client on Rainbow Laces. Mm. And after nine years, we've got him to work for us, and he's he's got a different sensibility because his background is tabloid journalism, and then he was head of mischief for Paddy Power. Yeah, what a great title! <laughs> so, yeah, it's a great, it's the best ever job title that. And so somebody like that keeps you fresh and interesting because he he's sort of like us because he's cut from the same cloth, but he's sort of not like us in other ways and does other it's got in other interesting strings. as suppose these people like that refresh you and keep you growing rather than what you can't do if you're a founder-led business is just pretend you're running it exactly like you like it was you know nine years ago no, it was just yeah. the three of us you gotta you gotta keep building it and refreshing it
0: but yeah and it, it is like as i just define the facet like getting that culture right as you grow because you can it can go it can go so wrong with the wrong hires you know again it's just it's yeah. a it's a difficult thing so it's so same top of us um I, I want to move on because I'm looking at the time here and I'm like oh my gosh I've I have mm-hmm. have not even got to the book so in in 2019 you released the book go look yourself um what was it about that that you were like I I feel I want to write a, a book
1: it was a moment of utter stupidity really um, <laughs> I, I sort of thought I was going to have more time on my hands than I did um it's so stupid, this, when you look back at the beginning of lockdown and, of course, none of us knew how long this thing was going to last and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll probably be sitting at home twiddling my thumbs and I, I like to be occupied all the time. It's was, it was mental because um, as we all know now, we probably all ended up working harder than ever rather than sitting yeah. around twiddling with thumbs. But by that stage, I'd stupidly already come up with the idea, sold it to a publisher and they loved it and and then, but then they started asking for chapters and it was too late to back out And and I'd sort of Promised this uh, very good cause called Commercial mm. Breaks. So all the all the royalties go to help Commercial Break, that help working class sort of talent get a lucky break. So then I promised them that I was going to write this book. So it was too late. I'd really screwed myself over, if I'm honest. And 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 but it, maybe you need a bit of discipline like that. I probably wouldn't. I would never have written if I, if I didn't hadn't made those public public commitments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like saying you're you going to run a marathon and let it's every you know I'm that. running a
0: marathon. I was like remember yeah. that marathon.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. And then it's like ah oh, shit, I've got to write the book. Um, but but it turned out to be a really lovely, you know, interesting thing, you know, because I haven't done it before and it was, again, it was a fun process.
0: Yeah, and it's, and it's great and there's a lot in it. So there's kind of, you know, you break it into kind of four sections, right? And yeah. so, you know, I'll go, we'll try to go through some of them because we won't go through all of them. But yeah, sure. I, I was reading it again and appreciate what, you, what you've what you got. Um, and in that you talk about, you know, things like place, legacy. So we talked about actually some of that, I think, with, with the likes of Yorkshire Tea characters and characters and mascots i was i was like oh yeah characters and mascots there seems to be like a it's almost like jingles like people are i know we don't we don't want to go there but actually there's a huge opportunity i think in in that and there's some great characters and mascots that have we we still think about
1: yeah sometimes the answer is sitting right in front of your face and it's sort of um you know you the the finding the familiar and repurposing it can be a really useful um, thing. We you know, we worked on Amazon with, um, create a, sm- a campaign with the boxes, you know, the cardboard boxes, yes. um, which was singing and smiling and going around the world and all the rest of it. And it, that was interesting because that came at a time when, um, I believe, there was an accountant who was um, advocating that the smile, was, or the arrow is really what it was called, the arrow was getting taken off the boxes because... Um, of the cost of the ink if you think the the two billion boxes or whatever it is around the world um putting that amount of ink on on all those boxes actually it all adds up to quite a big sum of money um and it'd be much cheaper to just not print on that side of the box um but, but actually, there's such value in, in your armory. If you've got a, a device, a logo that not only looks like an arrow, but looks like a smile, then you can be delivering smiles all around the world. And it's a universal sign, you know, which is, you know, so that's gone on to be a global campaign yeah. for us, for Amazon, you know, over many years, and is all over the world now is used as a sort of a symbol of what they do beyond just logistics. It's not just about, you know, getting things made to be, it's putting a smile on people's faces. So. So, yeah, ca- characters, icons, brand devices, brand assets is, you know, what obviously yeah. the buyer talks about. And, you know, they can be really powerful.
0: That's incredible. How, how difficult was that then for you? It, you know, again, the financial decision trying to be made in Amazon. We could this could be cheaper. And then those that selling in of saying, actually repurpose this. I mean obviously that then comes through through the marketing team and into finance and Amazon. I'm fascinated, you know, I think about, you know, any client side organization, how those things, how those things work. How do you how do you help the client navigate that piece? Or do you just kind of say, look, that's kind of their their thing?
1: And Art. In that case, they were brilliant about it. I mean they 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 realized um, when we present the idea, they said, oh, okay, this thing is happening. This is, this is you know, unfortunate. So they alerted us to the problem gotcha. that it was happening at the same time by coincidence. And they, they dealt with it and they were brilliant. They were hugely supportive, you know, as they have been since we started working with them. You know, and they are, yeah, they're, as you can imagine, incredibly ambitious. And when they set their mind to doing something, they pull out all the stops. And so, um, yeah, the, there was no question that they, they, they just made it happen, made it happen. yeah and, and it's
0: worked again you can you know yeah you see it everywhere. and it's
1: paid back obviously you know massively massively and
0: um, in the second session you kind of talk about looking at opportunities everywhere and one of the stories i was really fascinated i hadn't actually heard this was um lucky carrots where kids renamed vegetables and it was yeah. like yes yeah, that's brilliant i was like like and you know it's just No, I guess no adult is going to think, what was it, tomatoes to clown noses? And, you know, I love that. Like, that's amazing where, you know, there was that opportunity there.
1: Yeah, that was for a Belgian um, supermarket. And as you say, the idea was, you know, kids don't like to eat vegetables, but maybe if we call them more interesting names like clown noses yeah, um, and, you know, uh, I think it was like troll's clubs you know for you know you them may, you may into weapons or sort of uh, other things that kids might find funny um then they're much more likely to eat them and and I think the general point I was making there was you know sometimes we're so focused on who is the target audience for you know but but asking people you know out of the mouth of babes you know talking yeah. to kids is often like really interesting they might say something incredibly naive about your category. Um, or are actually older people as well as like talk talk to someone who's not in your target market and maybe they'll give you a more interesting fresh perspective um than than just doing a focus group with the same old people
0: yeah yeah
1: exactly if, if that one reminded me a bit
0: of i it was i think it was Rory Sutherland who did did a TED talk on and, and I'm going to get loads of this detail around, but it was um some Royalty. I think it was be in Germany where they were trying to get the, the their people to eat potatoes, and nobody would eat them. They didn't like them. They didn't like the taste of them. And so then he put a potato field in his in his like around a castle, and then he put guards around it. So oh the king, the yeah. king. <laughs> you know, so it completely flips it on his head. So it yeah. reminded me of that of that story. The last one I want to ask you about is um. Lucky limits and the constraints, and and probably as we head into more difficult times for everybody, that constraint of, of budget and how actually sometimes, you know, having less budget and less less to spend can actually help creativity. Have you you found that in the agency that's helped help you know if you if that is a constraint that you can come out with more creativity.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, if any of my clients are listening, don't uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, as an excuse to cut the budgets. But you know, joking aside, there is a there is a truth to the fact that sometimes with less money, it does force you to be more creative. That first campaign, as I say, for um, Paddy Power, the Rainbow Laces, um, we we wouldn't have come up with something as interesting as that if if we had tons of money. And it was because it was literally the joke was we we won we won loads of awards for that. The, the only award that we entered that we didn't win was in a category called marketing on a, on a shoestring. Um, <laughs> I mean, how did you not win that? <laughs> it's like, I, can't, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so I thought of what are the judges playing at that we can't, you know, it was made for that to win that. So that was a bit of a, a knockback, but um, yes, it forces, it, it can force you to think more creatively. And there's a, you know, um, one of the bits of advice in the book is, you know, to, I can't remember who first said this, some wise person said, if you if you're struggling to come up with an idea, you should half the budget. You know, the the, 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 the obvious thing to do is double the budget and what would I come up with? But what yeah. would we do if we half the budget? And it just forces you to think differently. What can we get rid of? What can we sort of prioritise? And, you know, as you say, lots of people are going to be having conversations like that in the next year or so. We're all going to feel like that is doom and gloom and it's tough but maybe it'll be liberating, maybe it'll force people to come up with ever more new and interesting ways of reaching people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I I spoke to Johnny Cahill, who's CMO of Heineken in in, in the US now, and I remember he had said previously, not when we spoke, but, but about kind of alcohol advertising and the changes and the regulation that came to that in lots of countries, but in Ireland, and he was working in Diageo at the time, and I was like, oh my God, but he was like... It's forced us to be creative and when, when he was in Russia uh, with Heineken like they weren't able to advertise so he got trucks driving around yeah. you know so it does like it, it's it's amazing like just start start there and see see where you go and um, just before we spoke today I got this beautiful uh packet of lucky lucky cards in in the post so obviously these are now available for for people to order so um you wrote a book wasn't enough for you <laughs> <laughs> what, what uh what was the idea behind the? I haven't even had a chance to open these. Literally, before we spoke,
1: it fell in the ah, post. Well, so have a little um, play with them later on. That uh, I'm obviously a sucker for punishment, and I I, thought, <laughs> um, I kind of figured actually, it'd be nice to have a format of that is uh, quick, you know, quicker than a book or complementary to the book, where you just have little provocations. You know, the forty different. Um, creative inspirations to ask you questions you know what if you did that what if you asked a child um what if you um you know uh turn the problem on its head what if you what's the the brand's name telling you to do is there an interesting history you know there are just very quickly all the things we do intuitively so i'm not saying any of this is rocket science it's the sort of thing that anyone you know anyone good creatively or strategically will do but you don't think consciously about them. So having them all laid out for you in 40 different cards, will get you to interesting places much more quickly than if you have to think of, you know, going through the motions yeah. yourself sort of thing. What is a prompt? And these can then act yeah, as like, prompts. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, and the fun and interesting. is another way to help uh, commercial breaks. So, again, all the money, all the profits goes to them. So we're, we're just really trying to um, raise their profile and build their... Um, yeah
0: and like that sounds like an amazing organization you talked a bit about them but can you tell me a bit more about about commercial break how you came across them and, and what is they do
1: so we had worked with them very successfully before to help us um you know get more diverse talent in our business we'd actually worked with the founder many years before he's a very good strategist called james hillhouse you know so we'd we just liked him as a person again we uh, you probably spot a common theme now you know one person can, can make a big difference we're we're all about working with individuals that we like working with. Um, and we thought this thing, commercial break, who had helped us could help other people as well. And it's, I just sort of like the idea of a book about luck, bringing some luck to other people that could do with a bit of a break right now, because as I say, I wrote this in the pandemic, and I could really yeah. see already that the people that were going to be hit most by this were the people that didn't have as much money, Um and so using some of the, you know, I'm privileged and um, lucky. And I've been, we've seen how lucky I've been to fall into this career. And, you know, you, you want to sort of give a bit back sort of thing. So they seem like a good cause to donate. to. Nate,
0: so. No, incredible. It's great. Um, it's it, it it's really good to see that as well and, and and kind of doing that. And, you know, I think seeing organisations like that really trying to, to help people, you know, because like we say, I, I work in Indeed, and we say, you know, uh, talent is universal, opportunity isn't, and really yep. trying to give people opportunities. We've an amazing program called Rising Voices, where we support uh, BIPOC filmmakers in in the US. Currently, I, I we we hope to scale. We're going to our third season of that um, with Lena Wait and, and her production company, and it's it's phenomenal. It is trying to just really create. You know um, the opportunities where there's incredible talent, and actually, three of the season two films have been put forward for pre-Oscar nominations, so they're in the category well, of, of yeah. So, like, but sorry, so it's really connected with me there. And um, we're nearly, we're nearly at a time. Um, there's two last things I wanted to ask you. One was um, advice, probably for for people um, thinking about a career like this. Um, and I read one thing that you said, which I found really interesting, which was, uh, and I love this, I'm saying to you, I, I read this thing you said, and you're like, oh my God, what's, <laughs> what, what thing did he read? <laughs> uh, but it was, don't move for money. Because after about, I think it was me, you were saying that after three or four years in an agency, you can easily move for money, but that may not just be the right move for you. What's your like what I guess what's your take on that? What's your advice for people as they're thinking about like a future career move um in, in the industry?
1: Yeah, so but um, and by the way, my caveat for this would be I, I realize that it might be easier for me to say that, you know, people if you if you are desperate for yes. money and you're in a difficult situation, um you might need to take the money. But if you if you possibly can, then I feel like if if you're able to take a longer term view of your finances. Um, then it's best to see see them over the course of a number of years, and and to realise that your long term value is going to be better if you're associated with great work. There's, there's always, always, always going to be a, a job out there that will give you more money than you know, in the creative industry. Um, but it's probably going to be danger money because the 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 you know the big bucks really get paid to people who work on you know some, maybe a crap brand doing crap work in a crap way, in a crap agency that is, you know, just paying you to sort of put up with it, basically. Um, you should obviously not work at places exploiting you either. You know, don't yeah. go to the other human, you know, don't go somewhere that's taking a piss. But um, I think your own value will be, you'll be, ultimately you'll earn a lot more money by working at good places that, you know, treat you well um, and pay you good money, but maybe, um, you know, it, it's a long term game, this, yeah. and if you want a, a great and varied and fulfilling career, you know, I, I see a lot of people who take that money, I'm sure for very understandable reasons, but then get stuck in a less good place. And then and then you're qu- it's quite hard to get out of that place because when you go for your next job, you've got no great work to show for it. And then yeah. you sort of put a cap on your earnings, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think it actually go back to John Golson. He he was kind of saying that, like, find brilliant people to work with. That you know you're going to do yeah. brilliant work, and yeah. and be proud. Like you want to be able to look back and say, "I'm really proud of these Definitely. things that that we that we've done." Um, final question before we have to go: practice being lucky every day. What's what's one thing apart from buying the book and buying lucky cards that somebody listening could do to to practice being lucky every day?
1: Um, I I think um. Look around your room, find an object, and see how that could um, translate or apply to the brief that you're thinking about. You know, it can be absolutely random. I'm looking around my this room now. There's a little um, stool over there with three legs on it. So, is it about dividing the task into three things? Is it about um, support and how you can? support the the main idea with a couple of other sort of um, smaller ideas is it something to rest on do you do you need to build some you know a rest period into this process or whatever the, yeah, the yeah. whole point is but um you can you know creativity and a lot of people have said this is about when two different ideas collide in an interesting combination and sometimes we just stumble over those by serendipity yeah. um but we can artificially increase the chances of those um explosions those collisions happening um so yeah i would you know listen to music how would this music appeal or apply to my brief go to a sports match how would what what's this football game got to teach me about life you know make sure your life is full of interesting other stuff beyond um, dare i say beyond advertising books um (laughs) a bad thing for me to say my publisher will hate (laughs) me for that but um yeah make sure you're doing all sorts of stuff beyond your work yeah yeah i think
0: expanding our yeah just our world view and right and, and, yeah. and get out into the world actually Jan Gooding who I spoke to said exactly the same thing so we need to get back out into the world and and just yeah. experience it so um and thank you so much I'm genuine I'm I'm such a huge fan of Lucky Generals and thanks. um didn't didn't actually think you know someday doing this I'd get to get to chat to you and I love the book can't wait to get stuck into the Lucky Cards and really appreciate your time today thanks a million
1: brilliant thank you I've really enjoyed it it's been good fun
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode. Andy was great and so humble. I mean, let's just remind ourselves this is one of the most awarded strategists in advertising. I felt like I'd met Andy before when we chatted. You can hear in how he talks about his approach that he truly believes in simplicity and great work. And all you need to do is look at the work that Lucky Generals have done. It is amazing. I loved hearing the story about how their kids were working on the Rainbow Laces campaign when they first started the agency and hearing about how some of the amazing campaigns came to life, like Yorkshire Tea. And of course, I was glad his recollection was the same as John Goldstone's around how Pogus Go On Lad came about. If you haven't listened to it, it's season one, episode one. So you can go back and listen to John's uh, version of the story. Don't forget, you can learn more from Andy with his book Go Look Yourself and his new Lucky Cards, which are incredible creative prompts. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share and add comments with your feedback. You can get in touch and find all previous episodes on the new website, that's what I marketing.com or follow us on Instagram on that's what I call marketing, and on Twitter at that's underscore marketing. So for me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode, take care.